Church, I hope you know how blessed we are to uh, get to do what we do with who we do it with and get to be led by these um, amazing people. Thank you. I, I, uh, I don't want every week to be uh, a, centered around a health update on me. That's going to get old in a hurry, right? And I, I, I'm going to keep saying this because I know we got new people every week, which is really encouraging. I don't want to be like, what is he talking about? So I had a stroke November 15th. So that's what I'm referencing as my recovery, and that's why I'm sitting down. And um, I think, uh, you know, last few weeks, just sharing some personal things to me, I think just talking, it's like it's been heavy. It's been hard to kind of walk some of this. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of hard, right, in our church, outside of me. Um, and that's okay. That's part of life. But I, I'm ready to, like, it doesn't have to be so heavy every week, right? I need you to know, I should, I, I should say this more when it's true, I'll tell you, but this, this past week was probably my best week since the stroke as far as just feeling twinges of normalcy. There was moments where I'm like, I feel like a human. I can think straight. My stomach's not all messed up. Except for uh, one morning, I woke up um, and I went into the bathroom and I put my glasses on and everything looked crazy. And I know vision can be an issue and, you know, the fear of another stroke. I'm like, am I having a stroke right now in the bathroom? Because things just look like insane. And then I took my glasses off and realized I'd slept in my contacts. <laughs> and if you know, contacts and glasses don't work well together. So that was like, okay, I'm okay. So that was, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a good week. And, and I, I'm hoping today with the message, I know we've been talking about prayer and becoming a praying church. Um, and it's just, and O'Neill already, like, we're, we're, we're moving from talking about praying to praying. And it's been, like, we're turning that corner. So I want you to be excited about it. Um, this morning. You know, last week I, I preached this, this statement that's meant so much to my life. It says, my primary responsibility today is to spend quality time with God. It's my primary responsibility. Above everything else, that's my, my main thing every day, is to spend quality time with God. So I preached that the best I could last Sunday. Then Monday this week uh, was just dealing with some fears, just, you know, stuff, irrational fears in, in most ways, but just, just mind and, and I was dealing with all that, and it came Monday. Monday was half over, and I realized I have not spent quality time with God. I just preached that to y'all 24 hours ago, and here I am, right, not practicing what I just preached. So I went upstairs Monday after lunch just to be alone with God and give these fears over to him. I just want you to know how, how he works and how good he is. And in that time, we talked about what that can look like. I'm going through the Psalms. So I was in Psalm 34, and right off the bat, he gave me these verses, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those to look to him, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And that's just been a recurring theme of this hope and shame in scripture with me of if I, if you put your full surrender, if you just count on him all the way, you're never going to be put to shame. And he met me in my fears and that Psalm specific for that day that I needed Right? And I'm continuing to believe that that's my primary responsibility today and every day is to spend quality time with God. I think some of you are starting to believe that as well. It's going to change our church if we live that, that out. Today, uh, we're going to look at a text. I don't like to say we're going to look at a story, right? Because when you say look at a story, Bible story, it kind of has this vibe of fiction or fairy tale or fake. These are not stories. These are events that happen. Real people that we'll meet one day in heaven that we can talk to and like, hey, what was that like? And I think he's going to use this text, this event that happened, um, to help us become a praying church. And I'm going to pick up right in the middle of a book. It's called Acts, Acts 12. Acts is the story 
of the first church. So you guys, we're not pioneers. We're a church plant, but we're not the beginning of anything. We're a continuation of the, of the early church. So Jesus came, God came to earth in a human body, um, preached, taught, lived, loved, um, died on a cross, rose from the dead, defeated death. And then he said, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to leave you guys. And it's going to be better that I leave you. And they're like, how can it be better if you leave us? He said, I'm going to leave my spirit. And it was that spirit that called a group of people together in, in the beginning of Acts that began what we now call the church of Jesus Christ. We are a continuation of that first church 2,000 years ago. Um, so the, the book of Acts is kind of the story of that church and what they went through and how they expanded and all that. So we, we are an extension of them. So we're going to pick up right in the middle of that book. What's just happened is a guy named Peter, who's one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Peter has just, he's been hanging out with Gentiles, which was a no-no for, for Jewish men. And he, God had called him as part of this early church becoming a multi-ethnic church is using Peter to go in places that Jewish men didn't go. And that was really growing and exploding. And, and we're going to pick up in, uh, in Acts 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. All right, so that's a tough beginning this morning. All right, verse three. When he, Herod, saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. All right, so we just saw James get arrested and killed. Now they've arrested Peter with the same intention. His trial's about to start. This is bad. Peter's a big deal in the church, and he's here. Like they have, there's no, you couldn't appeal. Like there, was no, there was no way for them to do anything about this, which leads us to verse 5, which is kind of our verse for the day, church. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, comma, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter was kept in prison, he ain't getting out. There's nothing we can do. But the church of God was earnestly praying for him. That's a key word, earnestly, right? So if you translate it, it, it literally means to be laid out or stretched out. It's, this, it's not casual. It's this all in, like wrestling. I am, I am surrendering myself. I am desperate, passionate, fervent, continually pouring myself out. God, you got to do something kind of prayer. You ever, sometimes it's really hard times in life where we pray this, you got to do something. But we want to live like that's part of our normal rhythm. You got to do something because if you're not in a tough time, you know somebody who is. Um, so it's this, this so but. So Peter's in prison, but the church is earnestly praying. So this is the reality. Maybe there's something in your life right now. It's really hard and dark. So this is the reality. This exists. We don't want to act like it's not there. So this is, Peter is in prison, but what's the church doing? They're earnestly praying. This is my condition. This is my diagnosis. This is my issue. This is my hurt. This is where my relationship stands. This is where my finances are. This is reality, but I'm going to earnestly pray to the God who loves me. All right, I'm going to tell a story that isn't really life or death, but I'm going to connect it, and I'm going to tell it because I think about so many of you don't know this story. It's a key part of our church history, um, but God, it's what he's done through the pandemic, and even in the last six months, so many new faces, even this morning, of people here for the first time, which is beautiful. So, so I want you to know a little bit of where we come from um, as far as this. Um, we started in a theater, Crossroads Theater, about 10, 15 minutes from here. And we didn't want to really start in a theater, and we didn't really want to start in Cary. That's where we ended up, and God was in that. Um, 
and we met in a theater. Here's when we got in the theater, it was beautiful as we could grow and expand because they had theaters, multiple theaters with 200, 300 seats. So we could be there for a long time with plenty of room. Well, then, as you know, every theater decided in the world decided to do the same thing. Let's get rid of these seats and put in recliners, right? Which take, takes a theater that fits 300 people and now it fits 90 because those recliners are so big. And they did not want us in the recliners because, you know, they're nice and expensive. So by the grace of God, out of the 20 theaters at that theater, two of them were not remodeled. So those became, they were the smallest, they became the biggest theater's capacity in the whole place. So those are the ones we met in, but we didn't have the room to grow that we originally had. So 2018, it just felt like it was getting really hard. Um, so first service, I lied. I told them that we used to load in at 7 a.m., right? And somebody reminded me it was, or it was, way, it was 6 a.m., right? Um, those were tough those were tough winter days, man. I was looking at my phone this morning and just remembering those days, like I never wanted to get a text on Sunday morning early because it always meant there's something wrong with the trailer. Some, the, the theater person didn't show up. We're locked out, which made us, everything was on a time schedule. It was hard. Like it was a heavy stage, all the equipment every week, loaded in before church, load out afterwards. And we couldn't add a service because they wouldn't give us any more time because they wanted to show movies. In fact, we cut it close, really close a few Sundays where we're taking down our stage where people are coming in with their popcorn and the previews are playing. We're like, we'll be out of your way in just a second. Um, so in 2018, our, our contact, our manager, the manager that was over theater churches in this region called and said, listen, we've been bought out by a company in Germany and they're not really excited about all these churches meeting in our theaters. We're not kicking you out. It's going to be okay. I'm just telling you, the negotiation for the next contract is going to be more difficult. You guys are allowed to do some, we've let you keep some stuff at the theater. That's probably not going to continue. It's just going to be, just prepare yourself. It's going to be difficult. Um, and we were trying to find more space. And, you know, I went to college and majored in ministry. I, I, I love uh, church and preaching the gospel and trying to be a leader. I didn't know anything about finding space or real estate or a building. Or I started looking and asking people that might, and like, there's nowhere to go. We couldn't find anywhere to go. Right? So this is all fall of 2018. So some leaders and myself just decided, let's, put, let's, let's go to God with this. Because what I don't know, he does know. So I'm going to show you a card. This is a note I took for what we call a listening day. So I took a listening day um, on October 18th, 2008. So that's just a day where you just try to put your stuff before God and listen to what he says. And he took me to his word. For some reason, he reminded me that Chauncey's, Chauncey's birthday was coming up. So I don't know why that's on there. But that was really important to God that day that I remember Chauncey's birthday at the end of October. Um, but he led me. I, wasn't, I just ended up in Daniel. I can't explain how. But in Daniel 9.23, there's a story that says, as soon as we started praying, the answer was given. And I was like, whoa. And I was praying about, God, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? And down here, I underlined, live confidently and boldly in this next step as a church. And I wrote, land is already ours. Right? God just led me to that from between Corinthians and Daniel, that the land that we need to go to is already ours. Which just sounds great, but it's like, what land? Like, God, that's, that's great, but I don't know what you're, what land, where? It's already ours. That's good to know, but you're going to need to send me an email or something. Because I need to know where this land that's already ours is. Right? A few weeks later, like within the time that that morning happened, and this is, some of you are like, nah, that's, this is not a preacher story. This is exactly how it happened. You can trust me. All right, there's a man named Stephen Scoggins who can corroborate all this. And I'd known him from a um, previous church plant. Uh, I hadn't seen him in probably three years. He shows up at Relentless. And he comes to me after the service. This is one of those Sunday mornings. Some of you remember where, where load-in was really hard. Our tech didn't work. We had a short and a cord, and things were frustrating. And I was done. I just preached two services. And Stephen is a note. If you know him, 
He's a no-nonsense guy. He does no small talk. He comes up and says, right after the church, hey, man, how are you doing? What's, what's going on? I haven't seen you. He's like, hey, what's the number one need of Relentless Church right now? I'm like, dude, take a breath, all right? And I was like, I said, I don't know how to answer that, man, but I know we got to get out of here. That's, I do know that. I know we got to get out of here. And then I heard the full story later. What had happened previous to that is Stephen Scoggins had bought this building for his construction business that we're currently in. It was set up for a church, and there had been a church um, meeting in here that was no longer meeting in here. So he, he was, he's a man of Jesus. He wanted a church. So he, he thought of us and his wife, and he said his wife had a vision where, she, where God said, Relentless Church needs to meet in this building. So he wasn't, she was his wife's vision. It wasn't his. So he's like, here was my thing with God. I said, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to ask David this question. And God, if, if that's true, then you confirm it with his answer. Now, I didn't know any of that after church that day when he's like, what's my biggest need? Man, I don't know. Give me a break. We got to get out of here. Which just uh, uh, within weeks, we were over here checking this place out, had our leaders come and look, and everybody was so excited. The only downside was people worried about, is there enough bathroom space? Is there enough potties? Is there enough seats? Right? And it was like, God has been good to us in that. And four years ago, Friday, was our first service, uh, January 27, 2019, in this building. Um, doesn't feel like four years because of the pandemic. But we went from loading in and out every Sunday to coming like we did today. The chairs were already set up. It was amazing again. It was amazing again today. You know the people clapping the hardest were the people on that load-in team. Right, that was some heavy, heavy stuff. Right? And I, that was such a God move. And it, and it came from just going and earnestly praying, God, we don't know what to do. You've got you to gotta move. Now, we're talking about Peter's in jail, and, and they just killed James. So maybe not. But it wasn't life or death. But it was life or death for our church. Because what we did not know was there was a pandemic coming. If we'd have been in the theater for the pandemic, we couldn't have done. We did online from here. We couldn't have shot anything from there. Um, they were real strict. In fact, when things were starting to open up and people were doing outdoor services, I called the general manager there and said, hey, we'd like to do an outdoor service. The way your front steps are, we used to meet there. It's perfect for that. People can park in their cars like some churches did. Can we do an outdoor service there? I'm not asking for a freebie. We're willing to pay. He's like, let me call corporate and get back to you. Right? He called me quick. He's like, that's a no. They don't want anything to do with churches right now. They shut it. Like we, we would have, it would have, it might have been the end of us. But God knew that when we were crying out to him and he knew that when he spoke to Stephen and Karen who, um, when you see them, they're here sometimes, you see them like they're such a beautiful part of our story. So every time in the week or in Sunday morning, every time I park out here and walk in this building, I'm just, wow, God, you did that. Like we didn't have a plan. That's the story. He just did that. That's why you're sitting where you're sitting, should get us excited to pray earnestly. All right, back to the text, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. So they've been praying, and now we're the night before the trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. If you're looking for a cool rapper name, go to the Scripture. That'd be a cool rapper name, <laughs> two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Everything's in the Bible. You don't know. Suddenly an angel of the Lord, verse 7, appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, verse 8, put, your clothes and sand put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you, follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So God does all this. He sends an angel. He busts them out. He takes the, the shackles off his, the chains off his wrists. He gets them by the guards, and then they come to this gate, and there's this big old gate that won't move, and God just opens it, right? And I want to remind you, church, with whatever you're going through in life, God still opens doors that you can't open, right? That's a phrase you've heard, open doors, closed doors. That's real, right? Some of you are at a crossroads in your life. You're trying to figure out which way to go, what's God calling me to. He will open the doors the direction he wants you to go. He will, he's really good at that. You just got to trust him. Now, don't say open this door and you already decide I'm only going this way if you open that door. You don't get to do that, right? You surrender like I'm open. I'm going through whatever door you open, God, and he can. He's the God of that. Verse 11, Peter came to himself. He wasn't sure this was real. Now he realizes it is, and he says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. So Peter is like, hey, without a doubt, this is real. God has done this, and we got to connect that verse back to verse 5. He did this as a result of the earnest praying of the church, right? A praying church is built on confidence that our prayers move God to action, right? And I know that gets tricky with sometimes with the sovereignty of God. I, I can't explain all that. What I know is that Paul talks like things happen because you prayed for me. Things would have gone different if it wasn't for your prayers. I believe that with all my heart, with my own recovery. There's no chance I'm sitting here before you today. If it weren't for your prayers, you got to, a praying church is confident. These prayers change things. They matter, right? They affect how six months our lives as a church and individuals look. That's how powerful prayer is. If you really believe life is going to be different based on our earnest prayers, man, you don't need reminders. You're like, I got to get on my knees before God because everything is in his hands. And everything means everything. Sometimes we hesitate to pray on things because we think they're never going to change, right? We were reminded again this week horrifically um, with the death, the brutal video that came out a few days ago of Tyree Nichols and everything that happened in Memphis, right? And it's so easy to just be like, here we go again, and what are we going to pray? Like some stuff's never going to change, right? Because of our, because of our God and, and who he is as a church, right? We stand for the things that God stands for. We, we, we do pray. We don't pray hopelessly. We pray that things can change. And really what happens, sometimes you're praying for God to send an angel to go rescue somebody from prison. Sometimes when culture is broken, God calls his church to step into that brokenness. So it's not always us praying to God and then God doing something miraculous. Often it is God putting thoughts and ideas and action in our hearts that cause the change that he wants to happen. That's what we prayed last week, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? It's the church of Jesus stepping into things. So, you know, as we talk about the issue of police brutality, most of you in this room know somebody in law enforcement. We have law enforcement in this service. We have law enforcement uh, in first service, and, and we pray for them, right? We, 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 it's hard to have much impact on Memphis. Our prayers matter in Memphis. You pray for the multi-ethnic churches. Memphis is a is a foundational cornerstone piece of the multi-ethnic church. A lot of what multi-ethnic church, it, we can trace back to Memphis. We, some of us went to a life-changing conference in Memphis, right? So you can pray for the gospel churches in Memphis to minister to that community and for God to work there. But we got to own our community, right? We got to pray for our leaders. We got to pray for our law enforcement. We got to pray for our community. We got to pray for what action steps would you call us to take as a church? Maybe it's just a simple email or a phone call 
to Garner Police or to Raleigh Police, how can we as a church, right, stand and pray and help prevent something like that ever happening here, right? Well, that's impossible, right? God is in the business of impossible. He can change cultures. He can change bigger things than we can imagine, and he often does it through the prayers of his church. Back to verse 12. When this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So Peter shows up at the house as they're praying for him because the trial's the next day. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. All right, so here's this girl, Rhoda. So first service, I say, tough break for her because, you know, her name was Rhoda. And like, people's like, you can't joke like that because you never know. And sure enough, somebody came out of the nursery after first service and said, I want to introduce you to my baby girl, Rhoda. <laughs> I'm lying. That didn't happen. But that didn't happen. But if that did happen, it would happen to me, right? I just think that's a tough way to live if everybody calls you Roto. That's just me. That's just a tough life. But she just, <laughs> you guys that are, you worship team, they're in both services. You see, I get away with a little more when my wife's not in here. Um, so Rhoda's, Rhoda's so overjoyed, like, Come on, let my man in. Like, he's a fugitive. He's outside. He's, his life is in danger. And she's so excited that he's free that she doesn't even open the door. She just runs back and tells everybody. All right? And here's how they respond to poor Rhoda. Verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, no, nah, it must be his angel. Right? Which tells us that the early church believed in angels. This idea of guardian angels, which I don't know what you believe about that. I'm not sure what I believe about that, but it comes from this. They thought that your, your specific assigned angel might look and talk like you. So they thought if it looks and sounds like Peter, it can't be Peter because Peter's stuck in jail. And nobody can get him out. So it must be his, his angel, right? This, this idea, like sometimes we, we thank God for how he, we thank God that we're in this 1540 mechanical because of what he did. Sometimes we thank him for what he's done. Uh, when I see us worshiping, and I know some of your testimonies, the people that tend to worship with the most passion are the people that have been so dramatically rescued, right? They have such a beautiful rescue story of what God brought them out of. So we thank God for all that he has done. We also thank God for what he didn't let happen, right? We thank God for his protection, right? We talk about angels looking over and, and watching over us. There's a young man on the front row that uh, had, a, had a, when you look at the cars, a horrific accident this Tuesday. Right? So we're thanking God as a church that we're not in mourning and that you're here and good. Like that's, that's God. We give God the credit right? for, for beautiful. But they're, they're, you know, this gives us a little grace as a church. Right? This early church, that was, they knew, some of these people knew Jesus. Like you imagine like hanging out with Jesus and now you're helping lead the church. Like that's, you know, that's, some, that's some street cred, right? Yeah, I hung out with Jesus. They're all praying earnestly for Peter. Peter shows up and they're like, no, it can't be Peter. Right, they just pray. You ever prayed for something? Right, I prayed, God, we don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. We got we to gotta find a place to go. He opened up this building, right? And I was like, oh, exactly. No, I was like, what? I can't believe this. How can, how, that's where they were. Let's pray in a way, church, that it'll be hard to believe when God comes through. Are you praying for anything right now that if it happened, it'd be hard to believe? If you're not, you got to step your game up. You got to pray for stuff that if it happened this week, you'd be like, what? 
Wow, that's the kind of God we have. That's how he wants us to pray. Right now, he's not a genie. We always talk about, don't go rubbing the lamp. God, do this for me. He's not a genie. We like to say this, God does not work for you, but he is working for you and you're good. Right? He, we are the servant, he is the master. He calls the shots, he knows stuff we don't know and never will know. So we work for him, but you can come to him with big, bold, beautiful prayers. God's up to something in our culture, in our country, in our, in our local Wake County, Raleigh region. He's up to something at Relentless Church. Right? This call to prayer, that, but to become a praying church, we are becoming a praying church. A few weeks ago, I couldn't say that. I could say we're going to become a, I can tell you enough in the last few weeks, we're becoming a praying church. And God's going to, man, we're going to see so much. He's, he's shining on us. So we'd be excited about that. We have an event tomorrow night. It's really important. I want to invite you to it. If you've never been to a Welcome to Relentless event, we would love for you to sign up. You can come without signing up. We'd love for you to sign up because then we get excited about you coming and we, do know, we need to know if you need child care. Um, a lot of you have been to a Welcome to Relentless event. It's just a small, casual, um, you know, we just sit and we talk about where we've been as a church, where we're going, how you might fit in. We let you uh, get to know the staff a little bit. We let you answer any question you ever want to answer and ask any question you ever want to ask about the church. We do it three or four times a year. All right, so these are big events. So um, I loved it. I checked my phone between services, which I'm not supposed to do, but somebody from first service like went ahead and just signed up right there during church. I love it. Anytime you're on your phone during church, I'm assuming you're signing up for something. So, I, so go for it, right? So if you've never been to Welcome Relentless, tomorrow night is your last chance to do that till the spring. We'd love to have you be a part of what God's doing. And that's not the only thing I get to tell you today. We also are doing something that we've never done um, before. On February 23rd, we're going to do a prayer night together. That's a Thursday night. Now, first of all, I said we've never prayed and worshiped together. That's not true. We do it every Sunday morning, right? We have prayed together. We do worship, but we've never done it on an off Sunday night. And it's going to be mostly prayer with some worship mixed in. Uh, just get a chance to be prayed for if you desire that and pray for some things in our church. So we'll get more details to you, but just mark that date. I'm pretty excited about that. Now, as I've talked to you about, let's pray in a way that'll be hard to believe when God comes through. Like, check your own prayer life. Let's pray those kind of prayers. And as I gave you the welcome to Relentless and the prayer and worship, the whole time I've been talking, Peter's been knocking on that door. All right? This whole time. He's just knocking. Nobody's open. Verse 16. Peter kept on knocking. And when they finally, it doesn't say finally, I added that. When they, excuse me, when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Peter's like, I stand out here knocking for 30 minutes. I'm done with y'all. Y'all being too loud. You're making all this noise. Don't you know, like, they're going to come and arrest me. Like, I got to go somewhere else. Y'all are crazy, right? And I want you to key in on that, on that word in verse 16. When they finally opened the door and they saw, this is real, it's not an angel. Peter's really here. They were astonished. They had been earnestly begging God, you got to do something. Peter shows up and they're shocked, right? Is that a, is that a, does that tell us something about their faith? I don't know, right? I think God is so amazing. He's done, he, I, I, I prayed, God, you got to show us something. We ended up here and I was shocked. I didn't believe that he couldn't do it. I just never imagined this place and this location. It's just so much of exactly what we, we wanted and needed that we didn't even know. We really struggled to, to reach people from close to the theater when we were at the theater, all right, and we've really seen a lot of like local people that live within a few minutes of here come to our church since we've been here, which is beautiful. I want to talk about that word astonished. You know, Jesus was astonished. That messes with me when I think about Jesus, who's the Son of God, all-knowing, 
God in a human body, that he was astonished. That same word, it says he, was, he marveled, he was amazed. He uses that word a couple of times. One, he was amazed at lack of faith in his hometown when people just didn't think that he, could, that he was or could do, that he could do any God things. He was amazed at how, how they lacked faith, right? We don't want to be that church. We want to amaze Jesus. We don't want to amaze him with man. They don't pray big prayers. They don't, they don't trust me. They don't think I can do anything about this situation in society or in this life. They don't think I can do stuff that I can definitely do. We don't want to amaze him that way. We want to amaze him the other way he was amazed. He was amazed at a centurion, uh, a soldier who wasn't even a Jew, a Roman soldier that came to him and said, hey, I need you to heal a family member. And Jesus is going to go with him. And the centurion's like, you don't have to go with me. Just say it and it'll happen. And Jesus was amazed. He's like, okay, this guy gets it. He realizes all I got to do is say it. That's the level of faith he has. He knows that I control and can handle anything. And Jesus was amazed. You think Jesus has ever been amazed at your faith? If we could see, we won't do this. If we could see a transcript on the, on the slides of what you've been praying lately, you think there's anything that Jesus is like, man, this dude, he is bold. He's asking for, he thinks I can do that. We want to astonish God with what we think he can do in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our families, in our future. We used to talk about big, fat, juicy faith. We haven't said that in a while. So when you bring that back. At the theater, we talked about big, fat, juicy faith. We want that big, fat, that kind of faith that's like, you, that's bold. Like, you said what to God? Like, you think he can do that in your family? Yeah, that's the kind of faith we're talking about. All right, verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I thought you had him. No, you had him. You were right beside him. No, I wasn't. No, yeah. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Right, Herod is just evil. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They joined together and sought an audience with him after securing the support of Blastus. I'm going to read this fast because it's not that important to what we're talking about. Personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country. So there's an argument about food, and he's got to go settle it. Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, delivered a public address to the people. This must have been the best address ever. Great speech because they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. They called, you're not human, man. You're, you're better than that. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, he was prideful. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. That's got to be a tough way to go, all right? But, you know, my advice would be don't come against the church of Jesus, and you don't have to worry about the worms, all right? But that was, that was his end. Verse 24 is more important than that. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's what we're seeing. That's what we want. That's what we're getting excited about at Relentless Church. It's the word of God, the truth of God, of who he is, of what he's done for you, this relentless God who never gives up on anybody, just comes, keeps coming with his grace and can do anything and accomplish anything. When it starts to flourish in your life, in your heart, in your school, in your dorm, in your street, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and, and it's flourishing and it's spreading, spreading to people. You know somebody who has no hope today. Every one of you knows somebody without the hope of Jesus. We want to reach them with the word, the truth, of Jesus. That's what was happening in this time, because why, how would it not? They just saw Jesus bust Peter out of prison. They're all pumped up, and they're a praying church. Here's what we can learn from them. Earnest prayer should be expectant prayer. Now, they're not great at that, because they were shocked that Peter was at the door. They didn't believe it was true. We don't want to be that, right? We, we don't want to be shocked when God shows up in our lives, and our families, and our church. We want to pray like we're expecting God to answer. Now, we don't, we're not very good at predicting how. If you'd have told me when I was on October 18, 2018, we'd be in Garner at a construction business on the whole other side and back, and we get to be here and have offices and 
and not load in. If you'd have told me all that, I don't think I would have believed it, right? So you don't, but we do want to expect God to move. It's often in better ways than we can even figure out. And as, as we've been talking about for three weeks, we're calling you to be a church that prays or a praying church, not just a church that prays. And there's several things on that. One is, is joining our prayer team. So we've had 31 people now. Um, I whined a little bit last week and that got some of you to sign up. I didn't mean to whine, but um, we've got 31 people that have signed up and said, I'm going to be on this, right? So the prayer sign-up looks a little different than it did. So it's going to give you options now. There's two options. One, you can sign up to, be, uh, to pray through our prayer list as we get that up and going. And it's also going to be a text thread for emergencies. So if somebody's on the way to a hospital or something and we need people to pray, so you're going you're to say, I'm, I'm in on those lists. The other thing you can sign up for is our Sunday morning prayer team. We're going to begin a team where people come and pray through the chairs so the seat you're sitting in, the spot you're in, has been prayed over. We're going to have a team that prays for me and for you as I'm preaching. There's somebody somewhere praying for God to do in hearts what I can't pull off, like supernatural move that you would know God's doing something in my heart, praying for people to come to salvation, praying. So we have a Sunday morning prayer team, and then we have a, a, a team of people that's going to pray through our, our church prayer list. Um, so you can do both. You don't have to choose. Like, you can do both. You can, I want to pray on Sunday mornings, and I want to be on the prayer list. But here's what we've decided, because we talked about this a few weeks ago. We decided that our prayer and care are so linked, we want to take care of people. So if you've signed up, if you're one of our 30-some people that have signed up for that prayer list, you're also going to be invited in to take care of those same people. So when you're on the prayer list and you get, hey, this, this surgery is happening or this need exists in our church, if there's, a, if there's a tangible need, if they need food or meals brought or whatever, you're also going to be made aware of those. Here's our thinking on that. When you pray for people, a couple things happen. One, God moves in their life. That's great. But another thing happens when the church prays for each other. God does something in your heart to draw you and to feel and carry a burden for and with those people. So if I'm praying for you and something you got going on, often God's going to move me to actually do something about that. So we're, we're just decided the people that are going to be praying are also going to be caring. Now, there's no obligation. If you're like, I'm on the prayer team, I'm praying for this stuff you got going on in your life, and you got this need, but I ain't doing nothing. You, okay, you don't have to help anybody. You just sit there and pray. That does help. But we're going to ask, we're going to start with our prayer team of, hey, here's a need. And then you, no obligation, say, yeah, I can help feed that family or I can help mow a yard or whatever the need might be. So we're going to combine those things. And we're getting all that organized. It's not too late. It's never going to be too late. We want to keep adding to that. So you can scan that QR code and sign up for the prayer team. We had a few people that joined us already, so that number is actually outdated. It's like mid-30s now, people on this team. Um, and we're going to have to, if you signed up early in this, we're going to have to resend you that link so you can tell us if you want to be on the Sunday morning prayer team or on the prayer list or both. So you'll get all that this week. It's going to be great. It's going to be powerful. It's changing our church. Here's another thing that's changing our church, or going to change our church, I think. It's an acronym that I haven't talked about from stage, I don't think. PFC. This is our prayer and fasting cells. All right, let me try to explain this to you. Here's the quick definition. It's seven people uniting to pray and fast for each other over specific needs for a month. Do not get intimidated or overwhelmed with this, right? It's okay. O'Neill just mentioned he, like many of you, are coming off of a 21-day prayer and fast to start the year. You're like, I'm out on that, man. I'm done, right? It's, it's a, this is a little less intense than what O'Neill was doing from fasting from sugar, although you can do that. Here's what it is. I'm starting one of these this Wednesday, right? We hope there's going to be like a multiplication effect, and it'll be for the whole month of February, February 1st through the end of the month. So you need seven people to cover each day. Here's how it works. You give a prayer request. Each person gives a prayer request. We're asking God to move on this request over the next month, right? So you want to give like real like, we want to put God, like, let's, come on, God, we need you to move. Like, we need, like, 
kind of intent, not intense, but you know, whatever your prayer request is, your prayer request. We don't want to be like, hey, would you please pray for my neighbor's cat? That doesn't make the list, right? God doesn't care about cats, right? <laughs> you didn't know? There's a verse somewhere. I just haven't found it. Um, and now I've, I've, I've offended all cat lovers and everybody named Rhoda in one message, all right? I was joking. I'm sorry. Um, we don't want... Um, you know, my, my son sprained his wrist this week. If he's in a PFC, I don't want his to be like, uh, heal my sore wrist. Because you know what? His wrist is probably going to be fine at the end of the month anyway. Right? We, we want to we put stuff like, God, would you, I don't know what to do right now in this relationship. It needs, there's something wrong between me and my spouse. There's something wrong with me, me and my kid. Uh, there's a financial, there's a big decision I got to make on a job. I'm stuck somewhere. I don't know where to go. God, so, so I'm going to have a, my own request. I'm, I'm starting this one this week with six other people, and it can be 14 people if it's couples, however you want to do it. But I'm going to have six people every day praying for God to move in my request. Isn't that powerful? Six other people that commit every day. And don't th- it doesn't take long. When you're praying for six people every day, it's just a few minutes. You're just earnestly praying, God, would you move in this marriage or in this issue, whatever. That's, that's, it, that's it. Now, the fasting part. Every day this month, six people are going to be praying for me and my request. And one person is going to be fasting from something. Why do we fast? Isn't that weird? Like, what is that about? It's about showing God that we're dependent on him more than anything else. So it's a reminder. If you're fasting from food and your stomach's growling, it reminds you to pray. But it's, it's just reminding ourselves and God. And God, work, he, he responds to fasting. Jesus said, Sometimes, some things you don't get any movement spiritually on until you fast. Because he, he, he made this, it's a way to depend on him. So you take something out that you need or you, you may be addicted to or whatever. You take something away as a reminder and as a way to say, God, I need you more than I need that. So um, in, my, in my prayer and fasting cell, somebody might fast from a, a meal. Like it might be just, I'm not going to eat lunch on Tuesday so I can pray for these people. It doesn't have to be food. It can be sugar. It can be caffeine. It can, some people might fast from Netflix. I just, I'm not going to watch Netflix on Tuesday. It can be uh, your phone. Um, it can be podcast. It can be, you know, it can be, it can be exercise, right? Somebody get really, you can, you can fast from exercising. I don't think that's a great one, but whatever you want it to be, right? So you need seven people because there's seven days in the week. So every day, one person is fasting on the behalf of the group and everybody's praying. So you're committing for a month. I'm going to pray every day for six other people and their need. And one day a week, I'm going to fast from whatever you want to fast from. We'll leave that up to you. And somebody organizes that, sends that out. And then you try to get together. We like to get together and maybe break bread, especially if people were fasting from food and really like pig out together. But really, at the end of it, to see, hey, what did God do? Did he do anything? Did he move? What, is he, what happened in this relationship that we were praying for? And just celebrate because we're praying expectantly. So I've, uh, maybe, maybe one of you wants to join my cell. I think I've got one or two openings in this cell that I'm starting February 1st this Wednesday. Let me know. All right, so we're going to start that. We're going to do it all of February Right? Then I'm going to challenge the people in this cell, the ones I already know that I have, to go start their own cell in March right? with people at Relentless or people in their life or family, however they want to do it. So if that actually happens, we go from 7 to 14 people, depending on if it's couples, in a PFC in February. Quickly, we go to 50 to 100. You know, by the time we get to September, we've got a million people in PFCs just at Relentless, which that math is crazy. All right? So we want to create a culture where we're constantly being asked, to, hey, will you join my PFC? In fact, if, you want to, if you're in on this, you feel like, I think I want to do that. You don't have to wait till March or April. You can start one 
Like grab some people right after church. I always hate the you're dismissed moment because it can be awkward. Like maybe the first thing you do when I say you're dismissed is say, hey, you want to be in my PFC? You just started one. If you start one and you need to help get some people in it, we can send some people to you. If you want to start a PFC and you're starting and you're doing this in February, let me know. Email me through the website. Let me know somehow because we're going to celebrate if we got these PFCs going throughout the church. So we want this to be something that becomes normal in our church. Prayer and fasting cells, seven people just fighting for each other. What will guarantee to be happen is we'll see God work. We'll see God move in ways that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. What else happens? When you pray for somebody every day for a month, you can't help but feel united and connected to him. It's not just about us and God. It's about us and us. It's the vertical and the horizontal, right? If you pray for me for 30 straight days, man, there's something that happens between me and you as a brother and a sister or a brother and a brother that is powerful and spiritual. So that's happening. That's part of our initiative to become a praying church. And I would love to end with that little plug for PFCs, but I feel like we got to go back to the beginning of this chapter because I really didn't mention much about it. This guy, James, what about him? This church was earnestly praying for Peter. Did they not pray for James? Because James died. Like, there's no rescue. All we get from James is he was the first one arrested, and then Herod killed him. That's all we got. Then we got, so then Peter, no, I, knowing the church, it doesn't make, they probably prayed for James too, and God didn't answer that prayer. What do we do with that? Like, part of me wants to not talk about that, but we need to. It's really important. Like, what, what do you do with that? Like, God loved both of them. God loved James and Peter. We think they were both prayed for earnestly by the church. One got rescued miraculously and one died. How do you think James's family felt when Peter showed up? Like, man, that's awesome, God. Could you not done the same for our guy? Right? What do you, what do, you do with that? I think, I think what we learn as a praying church is we don't assume to have all the information God does. Right? So just because your aunt wasn't healed from a, whatever disease doesn't mean you won't be. Just because your parents divorced doesn't mean you will be, right? Don't assume. Just because God didn't answer last time doesn't mean he won't answer this time. You know what the enemy loves to work in? He loves to work in when we don't get what we think God should do. He loves to mess with us about the character of God. It's not true. God is still God and he's still good. Just because he didn't come through the way we wish he had at some point doesn't mean he's not going to come through in beautiful ways going forward. So the James deal, what do we do? We just keep praying, faithfully, earnestly, expectantly. I think James takes us back to the gospel as a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement. We've got to center things on the gospel. The gospel is the incredible news of our rescue and adoption. We're rescued from sin, death, and hell. We're adopted into his family to have a purpose, right, to live on, on his behalf. But the gospel saves us from sin, death, and hell. That's what Jesus did. He came and he said, I'm going to die your death, and I'm going to raise from the dead. He did it. And when he rose from the dead, he said, now you're going to raise just like I did. James was one of the original 12 disciples. He's the first one to die of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And it's like, man, that's messed up that he didn't get. He kind of got the short end of the stick, right? Peter got this miraculous prison breakout, and James just died. He kind of got the raw end of the deal. I'd like to make the case that he, he, got, the, he got the better end of the deal. What's the bigger miracle? Dude getting busted out of prison by an angel? Or a dude dying at the hands of Herod and the next moment, the immediate moment after his death, he is living and alive in a new body with God in paradise forever. And it can never be taken away. And we'll, if, when we go to that life, we'll be able to touch and hug and talk to James. And he'll, I think he'll back me up and say, yeah, I got the better end of the deal. Peter lived another 20 years and then died a tough death but I got the bigger miracle. 
I lived after I died, and I'm still alive today, and I will never stop living. Right? That's the miracle. So why didn't God bust James out of prison? I have no idea. I got no answers. I just know the bigger miracle is death after life, or life after death is the bigger miracle every time. So that's the gospel. Like that's, that's the hope we have. We're heading somewhere real. We're closer than we've ever been. We're focused. We celebrate that. So if we're praying to a God who defeated death and who's going to raise us from the dead, if that's the God we're talking to, we've got to step our prayers up. We've got to pray expectant prayers. No more casual prayer. We've got to believe that we can shift history. Shift history with prayer. Every revival that you study in the history of Christianity is centered on prayer. When God's people start to pray, things change in the church and outside the church. And we need that, don't we, desperately today. Let's pray expectantly. I'm talking about, I know he's going to come through kind of prayer. I want cocky prayers. I don't know how he's going to come through. I just know he's going to come through. God hears the prayers of his people. And if we're praying in his will, I know I know he's going to work in this person's life that I love. I know he's going to work in my family. I know he's going to work in this hopeless situation. Something is maybe locked up and in prison in your life. God is expert at freeing you from that. We've got to earnestly and expectantly and confidently and boldly pray. If you're here, you've got work to do on this earth. You get to be part of something amazing, right? If you're still breathing, right? If that wasn't true, then you wouldn't still be here, right? James must have been done with his call on his life. Peter wasn't. If you're still here, and you are, because I'm looking at you, there's work to do for the kingdom of God advancing. We want to see the word of God flourish and spread. You're a part of that. God's calling you into that, and prayer is the path, all right? So be excited about Welcome to Relentless. If you would, pray for that. It's a big night to introduce new people to our church, and um, get excited about February 23rd. Get excited about some of the stuff we'll be announcing the next few weeks. Finally, we've got some leadership and some structure around these prayer ministry, how we're going to pray and care for people and continue to invite that, invite you into that. And be excited about what God wants to do in your prayers. Be excited about these PFCs that are going to start and just really seeing God do what only God can do in your life and the life of our church. Let's pray that before we go. Father, there are so many of us in this room that would not be here if it wasn't for you. And if it wasn't for people praying for our lives, when I say we wouldn't be here, I don't mean we'd be dead. I mean that we wouldn't be following you. We wouldn't be in a church. We wouldn't have hope. We wouldn't have experienced the living relationship with you, our one true God. God, so many of us are miracles walking around that we know you and follow you. You've brought us out of so much. God, we may never know on this earth how many people faithfully prayed for us. God, I get overwhelmed when I think about the people, the number of people that have been praying for me lately. I'm so thankful. God, may we be a church that provides that for so many people. God, may we be expectant prayers that we're going to see things move in our culture, in our church, in this room on Sundays and Monday through Saturday. We're going to see movement because of the power of praying for each other and praying together and having lists and organization and prayer and fasting cells. God, thank you for the God who frees people and busts people out of the prison that they're stuck in. Thank you that you have the power to raise us from the dead. Help us never underestimate you. God, continue to help us to become a praying church. We pray and go in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Ask somebody to be in your PFC if you want.